Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Canadian Netflix. I'm Dylan Clark-Moore, along here with Caroline Deason. How are you doing today, Caroline? I'm doing good, Dylan. How are you? I am doing swimmingly. Thank oh, you for that's asking. Good. That's good. Is there anything cool you've been watching on Netflix recently? Um... Well, actually, this week I watched three martial arts movies. One of them was on Netflix, and that's what we're going to talk about. But other than that, um, I watched two other movies. Uh, all of my martial arts films this week have been a varying, we'll say... Caliber? Uh, yeah, varying caliber. So on Sunday I watched a movie that was a straight-to-VHS release called Pocket Ninjas from 1997, I believe. And it was hilarious how obvious it was a ripoff of my two favorite movies of all time three ninjas and teenage mutant ninja turtles the first one okay. <laughs> basically this was just a cash in capitalization or capitalization trying to capitalize on uh how everyone in the 90s loved ninja stuff and rollerblades and, <laughs> and like groups of ninjas yeah groups of ninjas and specifically when children are those ninjas you know when children you know can for some reason be the ones who are fighting the gangs of the underworld um it was awful like fun to make fun of with your friends awful but no i do not recommend it please do not go out and watch it unless you all are looking for something that will make you cringe um until you cry and laugh. The tagline is something like the fiercest foursome under four feet or something like that. Oh no. Yeah. Alright, what was the other one? Okay, so the other movie was completely on the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to martial arts movie. Like, I, I, I feel bad calling the other one a martial arts movie. It was about martial arts, but you know, only, only in name. So the other one was a Shaw Brothers film. Um, it's called uh, The 14 Amazons, and it was really great. 14 Amazons is the, the English translation, a better translation, I think, that actually comes from the Mandarin is uh, the 14 women warriors or something like that, which makes a lot more sense and sounds a lot less ridiculous when it comes to what Amazon means in our day and age. It's a lot less sexy. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot less sexy, and it should be, because it's a, it's a story that is inspired by a real Chinese legend about these 14 women generals that went to avenge the death of, you know, the heir to the um, their dynasty. And it's really cool. It's epic, and it's, you know, one of those historical epics, so they don't really care so much if the plot advances at a way that a normal film should advance. It's kind of more true to the legend. It's two hours <laughs> of these fight scenes, but they're really good. The caliber of fighting is amazing. Um, it's from 1972, I believe, and it's got a whole lot of big names from martial arts films around that time, uh, specifically Shaw Brothers films. So that was fantastic. Those are the two I watched leading up to the film that we're getting to. And that movie is 1995's cult classic. Directed by Paul W.S. Anderson under the pseudonym of Paul Anderson. We're talking about... <laughs> Did you want to yell it? <laughs> I was hoping you would. Netflix has some pretty interesting ways of describing Mortal Kombat. I'm doing this out of order this time because... Uh, to, to trip me up. One of these is insane. <laughs> so when you click on the movie, this is the better one. 
It says, to save the planet, a team of hand-picked noble fighters faces down the minions of an evil emperor in a deadly fantastical combat tournament. Oh, I want to watch that movie. That sounds great. (laughs) This is one of my favorites ever. The hover description is... The toughest tournament fighters from any galaxy lack a notable distaste for bodily harm. Now get over here! (laughs) I also want to watch that movie, which sounds quite different from the first one. (laughs) This is insane. So the toughest tournament fighters. After that, it goes off the rails. From any galaxy... Now, I'm not here to dispute the difference between galaxies and dimensions, but, like, that makes it sound like a space epic, like like Planet Hulk or something, yeah. where everybody's coming from, like... Yeah, these are clearly realms. They're not galaxies. Right. And they lack a notable distaste for bodily harm. They, the, the word notable in there is really what's tripping me up. You couldn't say bloodthirsty. You couldn't right. say, like, ready for revenge. They have a notable distaste they lack, they lack a, that a notable, notable distaste for bodily harm. <laughs> what does that mean? And then they just throw in the fan service at the end with, now yeah. get over here. Wow. Yeah, that's, wow. That's special. Mm-hmm. The genres that this belongs to, all pretty, uh, all pretty fair. Action and adventure. Adventures. Martial arts films. Sci-fi and fantasy. Action sci-fi and fantasy. And fantasy movies. Sure. And the moods that Netflix assigns are exciting and violent good good not, not bad netflix <laughs> except that much better than oh brother where art thou much um so you were super excited dun, when dun, you saw dun, that dun, 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 dun. <laughs> when you saw that this got added to netflix a few weeks ago yeah um so why because like i know you as somebody who has I'm not not necessarily discerning tastes, but I mean, like, you loved Birdman, you really liked Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, and then you're just, like, crapping your pants for Mortal Kombat, so <laughs> I, what? I wasn't, I wasn't making, I wasn't lying when I said my favorite movies are Three Ninjas and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm, okay, so let me ask you a question, Dylan. Did you play Mortal Kombat when you were a kid? No. I don't know, just button mashing doesn't appeal to me? I've, I've heard of this before, but I cannot empathize whatsoever with... This would, general lack of notable distaste for <laughs> for button mashing related video games, um, so called button mashing related video games. So in 1992, when a young Caroline was five years old, on Chris- <laughs> wait, you played this when you were five? Listen, okay, I'm getting to it. When a young Caroline was five years old, on Christmas morning, Caroline opened up a present that would change her life. And that was the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Of course. And, you know, I was thinking about this today. I feel like that was the peak of presents for my entire life. Like, not just Christmas presents that a kid gets. Like, I will never be as excited about anything that I received for the rest of my life as I was for the Super Nintendo. There there are very few pictures of me from my childhood because I'm, I'm the third kid. So I think my parents just lost interest. Well, yeah. I mean, and you're the second boy. So they already had boy pictures. They could right. just yeah, <laughs> swap those in. But the one that stands out to me is there's a picture of me opening the Super Nintendo and my arms are up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. Super like formative Christmas for me opening up the Super Nintendo. Right. Okay. So Super Nintendo was two years old. I had two years, you know, granted from age three to five years to get hyped about the Super Nintendo. My neighbor had it and I wanted it so bad. But 1992 Christmas morning, I got it. And the games that I received with it, it was the pack that came with Super Mario World, fantastic game. The other game that came with it, or that I received that Christmas, 
And I have to acknowledge how awesome my parents are giving me three games to play with it. I also had a younger brother. Um, as far as I could tell, I face mashed him into the wall and he was not allowed to play with this for a few years until he got bigger than I did or than I was so that he face mashed me back and he got to play. But the other two games were Street Fighter 2 Turbo, which remains one of my favorite games of all time. Fantastic game. And Mortal Kombat. I was five years old. And I had two fighting games at my disposal, and I love them both very much. There's a huge difference between Super or Street Fighter 2 Turbo and uh, Mortal Kombat. Do you, know, do you know anything about the difference between these two? I'm aware that the uh, Street Fighter is like pixely, cartoony, um, as opposed to Mortal Kombat's full motion video. It was and, a rotoscope. Right, yeah. and, and notably more violent there and, we go. and aggressive. So I didn't realize this, but the controversy around the Mortal Kombat video game is what inspired the ESRB rating. That's what brought it into, you know, conception, which I think is amazing. So as a child, as a small impressionable youth, I was playing Mortal Kombat. I don't think my parents really understood what was going on (laughs) or monitored what I was doing. Mortal Kombat is a scary freaking game. And I was thinking today that possibly it was what kind of you know, sowed the seeds for some of the weird things that I'm into today. There's a lot of weird occult overtones to these games, a lot of creepiness. You know, there's a stage where you're in a dungeon and there's, you know, corpses or near corpses chained to the walls and skulls with eyes flickering and stuff like that. It's something that a five-year-old probably shouldn't have been playing. And yet I'm really glad that I did because it definitely shaped my love with this franchise for the rest of my life. So... A few years later, the movie came out. I didn't actually see it when it came out. I saw it a couple years later. I saw it when I was 10. And I was so excited to see it. And when I did, I was so happy. I thought it was fantastic. It brought back all this great nostalgia for the games uh, that I was probably still playing at that time. And yeah, and so I was really excited when it came up on Netflix because that nostalgia was all, you know, reinvigorated in me. But I have to admit that watching it now, I can see why... (laughs) It makes perfect sense that it was a box office hit and a critical flop. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> because there were 10-year-olds like me lining up, or 7-year-olds like how old I would have been if I had seen it when it came out in theaters, lining up who had played the first couple games and probably saw it multiple times, probably dragged their poor parents to see it multiple <laughs> times, and it made a ton of money. It was The budget was $18 million and it box, the box office gross was $122 million. <laughs> That's so amazing. I'm I'm actually kind of surprised too that it even the budget was only 18 million when it comes to it. But yeah, that's that's why I was really excited to see it. I have I have deep love for this movie going back to my my childhood days. I actually bought this movie on DVD because of its reputation as yeah. a cult classic. You mean? Or as a sack of garbage? Oh. Uh, <laughs> you mean a cult classic? <laughs> sure. And I couldn't get through it the last time I tried to watch it. I, it was like a lullaby for me that every time I tried to watch it, I was asleep within five minutes. <laughs> so I, I stuck to it this time, and uh, yeah. And here we are. And here we are talking about it. I thought that kind of a fun way to to have this discussion would be to uh, do a little bit of a character selection screen. So we've got the lead character, obviously. But it really is a video game movie in that... Ensemble cast? Yeah, it's an ensemble cast with a few people who kind of get pushed to the forefront just because you... If they had done any more ensemble and less having a front person, then it would have been even more of a mess than it ended up being. Yep. So, yeah, would you be cool to to go through and talk about maybe one character at a time? Yes, the Mortal Kombat 
SNES first video game character select screen music is, you know, the best music that's ever been composed. So <laughs> <laughs> I want it played at my funeral. So this is great. I would I would love to do this. All right. So the one that we are going to start off with is this is going to be interesting because I, I don't studied all your moves. I don't have any context for what these people are supposed to be like. All I have to go from is what shows up on the screen. Right. So the thing that I probably loved the most about Kano is with every other character, they kind of tried to explain in like an offhand throwaway line about why somebody is the way they are or, you know, justifying their existence. But with Kano, you just have a guy with half a robot face being a big sloppy Australian guy. And there's no effort to explain it. He's just a mob boss who is pitiful but for some reason that's considered to be a great representation of how evil humanity can be it's a really bananas character who's i think he's supposed to be like looming and threatening but he comes across more pathetic and disposable which seems like a big disservice to this guy who's supposed to be one of the I don't know, eight main combatants to either protect or conquer the entire realm of Earth. Yeah, this is this is all very fair. I think uh, we could consult my Mortal Kombat SNES manual for some background on uh, Kano if you really wanted it. Um, a mercenary, thug, extortionist, thief, Kano lives a life of crime and injustice. He is a devoted member of the Black Dragon, a dangerous group of cutthroat madmen, feared and respected throughout all of crime's inner circles. Believing Sung's palace to be made of gold, <laughs> Kano has entered the tournament in order to gain access <laughs> to the loot of the palace. So that's his background in the video game. Still doesn't give any indication of why he's got this one weird robot eye. You know, like, <laughs> why he's so successful, because he does come across as a bumbling idiot. And the worst part about it is that we know that Sonya is after him because for revenge, because he killed her partner. Right. But we actually have no idea. Like, she doesn't even give us any indication as to what's going on. You know what I mean? He's he's an underworld crime boss, whatever. But yeah, we have, we have no motivation for why Kano exists, why he's a... a a person of interest in this tournament yeah it's very strange but clearly he's motivated by greed and uh he's got some of the greatest lines in this in this film for the very short time that he's in it probably the most frustrating thing for me about him is that he maybe this is just my failure of understanding how this tournament works <laughs> because it seems like it's supposed to be you have like it's a round robin you have the e <laughs> you have the west division and you have the east division you have the american league and the national league and like <laughs> The idea is that you're supposed to put, you've got the representatives of Earth on one side, and you've got the representatives of Otherworld and the Conquering Emperor on the other side, and they're supposed to fight against each other until you end up at a final Mortal Kombat. Like, that's the idea, right? You're supposed to select people to represent your world, your realm, so that Earth has a chance to defend itself, right? Yes, except... I mean, we don't really see that happening in the movie. That's not what they would right, but allow that's, us that's to... Right, but that's the whole premise. It's like That's the idea, is that somebody from Otherworld has to win this tournament right, this is for the 10th, the 10th time, time yep. in order for Otherworld to be able to successfully conquer Earth. Like, right. this is the 10th time this has to happen. But Kano is from Earth, who seems to be sponsored by Otherworld. So what happens if Kano wins the tournament? Who wins? Does Earth win or does Otherworld win? Because 
I Kano think... seems to only be successful on Earth because we're just like this soft, spongy people. Right. Who, by the nature of him being a crass brute, he can be a conquering figure in. But if you put him next to whatever the hell Goro is, Kano's not going to be a lord anymore. He's no. not going to be leading anything. So, like, he doesn't benefit Shang from... Shang Tsung knows that, though. He's exploding, exploding him. He's exploiting him completely in order to get Sonya there. It, he has absolutely no faith in this guy, in Kano. He knows that he's going down. He just wants Sonya there. So, I mean, that gets me into a problem that I have with Sonya, but I think you have more to say about Kano, so... Well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> There's so much lead up to this Kano Sonya fight, and I actually forgot that she beats him immediately. Like it's not even it's not even a contest. Like <laughs> give me a break, and she just breaks his neck. Like it's it's ridiculous how short that battle is, um, or that that fight is in the tournament. Another thing that I noticed is that you know obviously, like I said, Cheng Sung is doing all of this in order to get Sonya there. But once Sonya Sonya's done that, there's not a lot of reason for her to be there anymore other than now she's probably swept up with her friends. She keeps calling them her friends where these two bozos that she just met. Um, but as I said, Kano has some of the best lines in this whole movie. The I studied your moves. I studied all your moves in that hilarious Australian accent is right. just so fantastic. Who Who is it that he's fighting when he says that? He's to fighting s- Sonia. R- okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, So as if he's got tape on her. Yeah, yeah. And she's just sitting exactly. there. Because, you know, because she's a, a friggin' soldier, right? Like, right. there's so many tapes of soldiers, you know, f- fighting in their drills and training. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I've studied all your moves, have no idea how that is. But let's go back to, like, when we first see Sonya and Jax, who <laughs> later is just written out completely, when he's like, Sonya, don't go on the boat. <laughs> and then gone. Um, but they, they're in Hong Kong. They're at one of my favorite 90s settings in 90s movies, in this type of like demographic 90s movies, which is the ambiguous, violent rock concert. Yeah, it's the whole idea of like the CD underworld running the successful club. Right, yeah. And there's this concert going on in a cage, and all of these people who are watching it are just, you know, dressed like the most stereotypical 90s, like, woe-begotten child, <laughs> which is another thing in Three Ninjas that factors... Uh, sorry, another thing in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that factors heavily there. So this is totally a 90s thing where it's like, this is where bad kids go and this is what bad right. kids do. And so that's where Sonya's trying to infiltrate this to find Kano, who is there, I guess, ostensibly because of his relationship to the so-called under underworld. Home is Hong Kong for him and not Australia. I don't really understand. Well, he looks to be about 30 years older than all of the other <laughs> patrons of this bar. And he's just hanging out in the in the weird background of it right hang out in like the the vip lounge with chang sung right who i mean he seems like he's possibly the club owner for some reason <laughs> like that's that's the that's the power that he's got where he's just kind of like looming over his realm right yeah and then kano's there as his underling muscle yeah yeah because chang sung to in order to get other people to come to the tournament he um, shapeshifts, right? Because he's the shapeshifting yeah. master of evil. But he doesn't have to do that for, for this one. He just walks into this club and is like, I'm going to the back. I'm going to the VIP section and finding Kano. Finding the half-cyborg man. Yeah. And Oh, okay. I'm not realizing some of Chang Song's plan. <laughs> so he needed, and we'll get to that when we talk about Sonya, but he wanted Sonya to advance in the tournament. So what I was originally thinking was, why didn't he just shapeshift into Kano and kind of lure her that way? But, but that wouldn't have worked him. because she needs to fight him in the tournament yeah. and defeat him so that she can move forward so that she can be somebody who can be selected in the final 
round, which I also have beef with. But again, we'll get to <laughs> okay. we'll get to that soon. Well, but yeah, he's this he's he's super useless, which seems so strange because he's got a lot of kind of interesting character traits about him that are underutilized because he's got so little screen time. Right. And then when he finally dies, like, it's so unimpactful because, well, I mean, we've done a terrible job of making us care about Sonya in the first place. But the whole idea with these fighting games is that it's supposed to there's not a clear, more superior person. Like, it's it's equal footing. And you just kind of you're they're supposed to, like, just eke out a victory. That's a really interesting thing that you brought up. Do you mean that there's not when you're doing the character select at the beginning, they're supposed to all be kind of equally talented, equally? Right. And if you kind of learn how to use their skills properly, then you can win. I realize that there are some characters that are inherently, you know, you can be cheap with them or right or whatever the case may be. But that's it's much more. Well, I was thinking about that the day that today though, because I was like, who would pick Kano ever? Like, he is not someone who I would ever pick when I was playing. I have no idea who I would pick because I haven't played the game. But I mean, no, it, no, who, like, who would pick Kano? But I mean, like, cool robot guy. Like that would. I guess so. I could see the appeal of choosing that. <laughs> not after watching this movie, right? Because yeah. I, I don't care about him at all. <laughs> the interesting thing I like about Kano is that I guess originally he was uh, his character was of a different nationality. Uh, in the first game, he was, I think, Japanese? No. No. Uh, he was something else. Are you talking about Liu Kang was supposed to be a Japanese guy, and then they said that they couldn't spell his name, so they changed it to Liu Kang instead? <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, no, Kano was originally... Really? I've never heard about uh, this. So, first depicted in the Mortal Kombat canon as a Japanese-born American who was orphaned at a young age and fell into a life of crime. So... <laughs> Kano was originally a Japanese-born American. Oh, you're right. Deported from Japan, wanted criminal in 35 countries. Right. So originally he was supposed to be like this American fellow, but because of this movie, wherein a British actor decided to play the character as Australian, the character was then retconned to be Australian because they felt like it was just a more impactful character with an Australian nationality. That's really interesting, because under known relatives in the manual, it says Nunn was orphaned as a small child by an American woman in Tokyo. But now he's the underworld boss, an Australian in Hong Kong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, sure. Why not? <laughs> I'm okay with it. I'll allow it. So, Kano... He's also, he's also 35, which is one of the oldest adults, not counting the immortals, <laughs> or the extremely old uh, mystic beings in the tournament. Right. Is there anything else you want to say about Kano? No, we're, we're done pretty with much Kano, I think. Yeah. Done with Kano. Yeah. The next one. Let's uh, let's move on to something a little bit more, uh, with a little bit more meat to it. Let's talk a little bit about... So, one of the three main characters, I guess, in that he gets a lot of screen time without really, again, doing much of anything. I think that's going to be a recurring thing. <laughs> of, like, underbaked character does fights. Right. He's probably he's the one that out of everybody, we actually have the strongest sense of exactly why he's doing what he's doing, because we get told three times why yeah. he's doing what he's doing. That he's this American actor who is quite skilled at martial arts, but has decided to pursue a career in acting where the the critical masses have failed to appreciate that what he's doing is actually quite quite real and quite authentic, and he just wants to prove himself to the mass populace. Right, because of his ego. Right, 
because he needs people to believe in him and yeah it's not enough that he's got 500 dollars sunglasses and all this luggage and everything like that he wants people to know that he's really fighting right he needs people to believe that he's the real deal and he's told by raiden that this is his big flaw this is your fatal flaw that your fatality flaw that uh-huh. that you need to be recognized and that you're so worried about people caring about who you are and that people see you as legitimate and you need to overcome that in order to like be a great person and to succeed in this tournament and his reaction to that is to then challenge the <laughs> reigning defending Mortal Kombat champion Goro so we get to like it all the beats are there for you need to learn your lesson and then he proceeds to embrace his character flaw and just go all out with regards to being the worst part of himself and trying to save the day and really setting up the rest of the tournament to be thrown out the window for the sake of his ego but then raiden cheers him on for that and says yes like finally one of you gets it it's super frustrating to have this this character who again i didn't really care too much about be rewarded for the wrong thing like in the in the one of the few times that you're actually setting up a character he's not doing anything you're you're acting like he's learned something you're going through those beats but he's doing the opposite of what he should be right but nobody who the only person who learns anything is Liu Kang and that's why he can defeat Shun uh Shane Stone right right so I think it is part of the plot that uh, both Sonya and uh, Johnny Cage can't live up to that point. And, and right. I think Raiden says that near the beginning. One of you is going to be able to do this. And <laughs> Raiden is just an asshole, and he knows all along <laughs> who it is, but he's not going to say anything. Um, in, the, in the Wikipedia article for Mortal Kombat, the film, uh, in, the, in the plot summary, the way that they talk about that fight between Goro and Johnny Cage is, Cage faces Goro and uses guile and the element of surprise to defeat the defending champion. He punches him in the nuts. That's what actually happens. Right. Which we get we get foreshadowed earlier when they're saying, like, there's no way that you can possibly defeat Goro. And he says, don't worry, I've got a plan. And his plan is to punch him in the nuts and then run to a cliff. And it really worked. And hope for the best. Yeah. Then, and like, then, he's and then... really, when he, like, he rolls the dice on that, <laughs> that whatever species Goro is, is going to have genitals in that spot and that they're going to be as sensitive as they would be for a human being. Yeah. And they are. And then they also hurt Johnny's hand, too. Later, when he runs up the hill, he's like, oh, that hurt on his hand, which I think is a great touch. And then he has to and then he resays the lines that he says in his film at the beginning of the of the movie, which I think is hilarious. Where he this says, is the this, part where you fall down. Yeah. Yeah. After he says, let's dance and everything. I love that. Johnny is just. I'm sorry. He says, let's dance as yeah, well. Yeah. That's what he says. I'm to having J- flashbacks to Duke Nukem 3D <laughs> because he says both those lines. Yeah. Um, I'd say he says, this is the part where you fall down and bleed to death. But then he also says, let's dance when there he's must, talking to There the, must be uh, some sort of crossover there. There must be a, one was inspired by the other. There has to be. Yeah. But yeah, that's, Johnny Cage is a hilarious character because he is definitely some, like you said, there's a lot more focus on him than some of the other characters. And part of that I'm sure is because this is a film that is catered towards Western audiences. And this is our kind of like big Western muscly character, right? Right. Did you, do you know the, about the two other people who were supposed to play Johnny Cage? But didn't get to. Um, I've heard so. Um, uh, Brennan Lee. Yep. Um, until the His incident. untimely demise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I've heard rumor of Johnny Depp. Oh no! Uh, that Johnny Depp and somebody else were in in the running for it, but wow, Johnny Depp! <laughs> I don't even. 
Okay, so... But we're thinking, like, Crybaby era Johnny Depp here, right? Like, Yeah, but he's not a martial artist. Like, at least get someone who does... But neither's the actor for this. Like, He he, was, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought that he trained in that stuff because he got this role. Okay. No, he was... uh, No, I looked it up because there are times where you're like, really? Like, this is is the best guy you could have got? Like, (laughs) at the beginning when he's filming in the warehouse and he does this kind of, um, you know, like, low roundhouse kick. It's just really... Oh, it looks... It looks stiff. It looks stiff. So who is the other one? Who was the other? It was Jean-Claude Van Damme. Right. Right. And Who... Jean-Claude Van Damme said no because he was working on the Street Fighter film. Right. So there we have a little crossover with five-year-old Caroline. But, you know, I mean, that's because the world revolves around me and what I would have been interested in. So if you think about either of those two people playing Johnny Cage and how this character was written, it comes off completely differently. This guy who ends up playing Johnny Cage, Lyndon Ashby, no name, you know, not recognizable, but is playing who is supposed to be the biggest action star of his time, right? That comes across so differently if you actually had Jean-Claude Van, Van Damme playing him. You know what I mean? Like, Right, because instead of it being, like, I didn't feel like he was this big action star. No, you kind of feel he, like he's like a B action star. Right, B like, he can't, star. like he can't get, he can't get the respect that he deserves. Yeah. Which, because we're introduced to him as being kind of sorry to use this word again but because he's kind of introduced as being pathetic it's surprising to find out that he is actually quite skilled at martial arts as well Mm -hmm. like this is a second character who seems like this is the best that you can do for earth yeah so that's that's kind of i think that the movie really actually suffered a blow when jean-claude van damme said no um because that would have given it a lot more clout that would have made that character a lot more have a lot more weight yeah it it definitely would have added legitimacy to the role and would have read a lot better instead of it just being like this guy who looks like generic 90s movie star who looks good in a pair of sunglasses inside or i guess outside in a dark world it's a total douche move <laughs> i know yeah well not only is it is it a douche move but he knew that goro was going to do that i mean like that's like he knew that he was uh, setting himself up to have his 500 hundred dollar sunglasses right but smashed. he just wanted he just wanted to do that thing that the rock does when he complains about people messing with his 500 hundred dollar shirts right exactly yeah. yeah that's probably where the rock got it the other thing that i i really didn't care for with johnny cage is that <gasps> yeah okay. the the really tacked on love interaction between him and sonya okay Okay, but that's one of my favorite things about the movie, actually, is how it tried to have something like that. And Sonya just keeps, you know, stiff arming him the whole time. She does not ever let up. Even at the end, even their like last kind of uh, exchange where he says nice dress. She's just like, ugh. like even then, no, when they've been through the worst of it all. Right. But then when they're walking away from the, the whole debacle, he's got his arm around her and they're smiling at each other. The, yeah, there is that I'm little. Gonna, I'm going to chalk that up to camaraderie after having just saved the world, and uh, right. you know, like it being a we're on an even. I finally respect you as a fighter because we're on an even plane, yeah. and my ego has been checked a bit. Yeah, it wasn't her reaction to it that I had a problem with. It was that he seems like the kind of guy who's just going to flirt with everybody. Yeah, and then when he all of a sudden, like this, is when he decides to challenge Goro, that's the first time that he's he does something legitimately heroic where we can be right. like all right like, you, you do have like some courage to you and then he puts all of that on sonya he's like i can't imagine anybody having to fight you 
Like, it's so, it's disrespectful to her as a warrior. And but it, what's cool about it, though, is that, and this is kind of what I was going to say, where they, they made him kind of a main character, uh, because he, he, I mean, he wasn't like the breakout star of the video games. Nobody was like, oh my God, Johnny Cage is so cool. Other than the fact that that's how he's supposed to be seen, right? Like, he's supposed to be seen as this cool movie star. But the movie never tries to make us think that Johnny's racism towards Liu Kang at the beginning of the movie or his gross sexism towards Sonya is what's cool. Like, the movie is never kind of, like, showing little kids who are going to watch this that, like, this is how you be a cool movie star dude. He's always shut down. You yeah. know, he's always ridiculed for it. Liu Kang takes him to school when he offers to, or when he demands that he, you know, uh, carry his luggage and he just throws it in the river. I love that. Or the lake. Or, no, it's an ocean. <laughs> ocean he takes his money that's one of my favorite parts yeah and then every single time that uh he comes on to sonya not only does sonya she doesn't just ignore him and walk away and feel uncomfortable she overtly tells him leave me alone and (laughs) i'm never you know i don't need you and all this Mm -hmm. and i love that i love that he's he's never rewarded for any of these terrible traits that he possesses yeah and like you said and then he finally steps up and does something for the good of the group instead which I think Raiden is pretty sure could go either way, which I really like because Raiden's just kind of like, I don't care if this guy lives or dies. And at that point, nobody else does either. His so-called friends do not care either. Yeah, I just I, I couldn't get behind him. And I guess you're not supposed to because eventually you are supposed to get behind Liu Kang. But I found him to be. Uh... I love when uh, when he defeats Scorpion in the in the forest and he throws that. I guess they're not in the forest at that point. They've been transformed or transported elsewhere and um he he tosses down his signed uh photo you know right like to, to my loving fan or whatever right. signed johnny cage right which, which is, is uh it's that's his friendship finisher yeah that's from his, from the second game yeah right yeah <laughs> i love that it suggests that he's that's either his friendship waves of ending that fight right but that that <laughs> In terms of like the the logistics of it, that means that Johnny is either carrying around pictures with a marker, oh, or has, he is. has pre-signed a bunch <laughs> of these things, brought them with him to this tournament as he's getting dressed for his fight. It's just all still there. I, I bet that not only are they pre-signed, but that it wasn't even him that signed them. Like I bet that was like <laughs> some intern back at the studio's job to sign, you know, twenty thousand yeah. headshots that he has to carry around with him wherever he goes. And that's the best part. Like that's not for anybody else. Like. In in that part of the world, like in that dimension that he's been transported to, nobody else is there. He's doing that for him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just patting himself on the back and yep. just That's embracing the, the movie star role. Yep. Although now I'm worried. So where did they go? They went to some crazy hellscape. <laughs> but then how do you did mean? You, do you mean when when Scorpion when, when Scorpion like brings him through the portal? Right. And they go to this other world. How does Johnny get back? Johnny's got no idea where he is. My question is, why is Johnny in that forest alone to begin with? My counter question to that (laughs) is the way this tournament works in terms of maybe I'm trying to just apply structure where there is none. But whenever Liu Kang fights, Liu Kang fights in like a ring of flags and it's being overseen by Chang Sung. And it seems like it's all very sanctioned. Whenever Johnny fights, and when many of these, or, or, sorry, I guess the, they're, they're structure as well. When Kano fights Sonya, like there, are, there's a time and a place for these fights to happen. But I think because there are different arenas in the video games, you have Johnny just like walking through the forest. Scorpion attacks him, and that's when they have their fight. Yeah, like there's nobody monitoring it. There's nobody. This is an excellent question, and one that 
leads me to say something that I probably should have started with by saying that this is a movie that if you're not familiar with the the video game franchise, I can see how alienating it can be because many of these questions that we have are can be answered at least, you know, to, to what degree of satisfaction you have right. to decide, but can be answered by precedent set in the video game series. Right. Or then that the franchise changed. So for instance, the things about one of my favorite parts about this movie and that I think it gets really, really well um, is the settings. Uh, the settings are gorgeous and over the top. They actually filmed a bunch of it in Thailand, which is crazy. And the setting in Mortal Kombat games has always been a huge part of what makes them so horrifying to play. Um, the the settings in each stage of the games are always over the top and scary. Yeah, so the, the settings of the game, along with the environmental hazards that we then see at the end of the movie when the spikes are, you know, ra- rising up out of the Mortal Kombat logo, um, these are all things that are in the games, and that's why I think some of the stages are really nice, like that one on the beach with the flags where Liu Kang has to fight Katana, or the one in front of uh, all of the monks. Those are specific direct um, recreations of settings Uh in the games. Then there's also settings that are just kind of haphazardly, you know, randomly on a cliff or on this weird bridge that's decaying and things like that. And then in later games in the franchise, you see interactions between the fighters that uh, are going on while they're at the tournament that aren't the actual scheduled tournament fights and they're just beefing with each other and they get in fights. <laughs> so there's ones, you know, where Johnny Cage is walking down, you know, like a, a a narrow staircase and he like hits the shoulder with Sub-Zero and they have to fight, that type of thing. So I think that there is kind of like this weird retro president or retroactive precedent. President, retro president, that's what I said first. Retroactive precedent um, for uh, for these random fights that are occurring outside of the actual tournament. Especially because these are with primarily with Scorpion and Sub-Zero, which are Chang Sun and the Emperor's kind of programmed slave lackeys. Right. Um, and who Raiden refers to as his sideshow freaks <laughs> at the beginning of the of the film. He says, yeah. you know, you've sicked your sideshow freaks on on my fighters or something, and that's not allowed outside of the tournament. Right. That's yeah. yeah. Hello, Pot. I'm Kettle. <laughs> I've noticed you're black. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there is some some sort of reasoning behind why some of these are obviously really nice settings for these fights. Right. And sometimes there's just random fights that don't seem part of the tournament at all. Right. And that's where it's kind of it's unfair for me to dislike this in some ways because it's not made for me in that I, I'm not familiar with the source material. So it, I felt like there was fan service that I was not fully appreciating because it's so in, it's so over the top with its fan service, with its constant repetition of catchphrases and, yeah. and things like that, where I was like, okay, I understand what you're doing, but it's not resonating with me because yeah. it's not for me. Even Johnny Cage's sunglasses are something that are important in the video game. Like at the end, when he one of his kind of taunt moves when he wins uh, a round is to put on his sunglasses, you know, all tauntingly. Yeah. All right, the next one I have next to nothing to say about it is... You have next to nothing to say about Sub-Zero? Fan favorite Sub-Zero? Fan favorite of the franchise. Right. But for... Try, Granted. Okay, so try to see this my way. I know I am. So Don't he is a Try guy. to see it my way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is a character who... I mean, he's got a cool power. He controls 
ice, yeah. it seems, mm-hmm. and is hidden behind a mask and is identifiable only by his power and the shade of his hood. Well, yeah, he, he's the one in blue. Yeah, he's the blue guy. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so the, just understand that this is where I I'm coming from. Yeah. He is the blue guy who does ice things. Yeah. And he fights people. Like, what What, what else is this character? Like, he's, he's a lackey right. in this, which seems... Unfortunately, he's underutilized in this movie, but so is Scorpion. So are a lot of the, yeah. you know, we've talked about how this is an ensemble cast in many ways and that there are you can see where they're trying to hit every character equally, but unfortunately, even with that equal treatment, it doesn't go very far in depth. Mm-hmm. And Sub-Zero really uh, loses it there. And I heard that Sub-Zero and Scorpion weren't even going to be in this movie, and then it was testing really low with their test audiences. Imagine that. Yeah, <laughs> so they had to add uh, Scorpion and Sub-Zero because that would um, add more fight scenes. But it's also important to think about how Sub-Zero and Scorpion are the only fighters that we see that use... Magic? Yeah, they use magical powers. Mm-hmm. And when we were talking about, you know, who would ever pick Kano, I always picked... I, I sometimes pick Sonya because I was kind of like, she's the girl and I'm the girl, but then that got boring. Um, and then so I always pick Scorpion and Sub-Zero and Raiden because he's a playable character in the game because they had the magical powers. Why wouldn't you pick the character with the magical powers? Like, that's so much cooler than the dumb humans who can just, you know, do kung fu really well. Yeah, that was the one <laughs> boxing game, or the, sorry, the one fighting game that I do remember playing on, I can't remember, it would have been the Super Nintendo, was Killer Instinct. So that I think it's like it's, a ripoff of, of Street Fighter, it, isn't it? It's more of a Mortal Kombat clone. I oh, is it? Think. Okay, never mind. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're both they're indistinguishable for me pretty much oh boy but it's it's like bananas characters like you have right. like a werewolf and you have so and i had the same problem where i was like why would i pick the american boxer yeah when i can be a velociraptor <laughs> well that is bonkers like there's no yeah there's no contest here why right. yeah why would you not choose the flaming skeleton like yeah right yeah it yeah and it's what, so I, what, I, th- what I think works for sub-zero in this movie is that out of pretty much everybody in it he seems like the most viable threat mm. because even scorpion we'll get to him later like scorpion sorry did i say scorpio yeah hank scorpio yeah. <laughs> just don't call me mr scorpion it's scorpio but don't call me that either <laughs> sub-zero seems like a suitable lackey he seems like a good heavy to have in your corner he's got these magical powers he can fight hand to hand he apparently can surround himself with an ice shield that is impenetrable except for <laughs> a bucket of water yeah so I feel, I feel like he he despite being undercooked he did his job as well as anybody else like in that role right well and also i mean he exists almost entirely in this movie in order for lucane to get the understanding that he needs to get so that he, because Katana gives him that, she could just be like, use water when you see Sub Zero, but she gives right. him that, that like funny, weird uh, riddle that he has to figure out. And so, and that gives him the confidence and kind of the wisdom. And this is all tying into, I think, his Shaolin monk background, right? Like he needs to, and Katana talks about how he, he'll have to face himself, his worst fear. His enemy himself. Right. And, and then his worst fear. Yes. Yeah. And so, as far as I can tell, the only reason that Sub-Zero exists is so that, uh, in this movie, in the in the plot, is so that Liu Kang can overcome something um, that he didn't realize that he had. My favorite my favorite thing about that whole, you know, how, how Sub-Zero eventually dies, is that when Katana first tells Liu Kang, uh, you know, to use the element that brings life, 
And she's like, use the element that brings life. And he's like, what? <laughs> like, I love that reaction. There's, you know, just unbridled, like, what are you talking about? That's ridiculous. Uh, fantastic reaction from, from who is supposed to be, you know, this pretty wise and, well, I guess that's how he, he learns it, right? He has to, he has to come into his own there. So yeah, I agree completely. He that, has to show uh, his work. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. He has to show his work. And, and Sub-Zero and, and Scorpion in the actual, uh, you know, canon of Mortal Kombat are, are very distinct characters. Um, but in this one, they do just kind of seem like clones of each other that have different powers and wear different geese, and right. that's it. It's also, like, I, I guess that it's, it is important for Liu Kang to have that progression where he kind of, like, learns to think for himself and acquires the, what is it from, from a brother art thou, where he gains the... Capacity for abstract thought. Yes, the capacity for abstract thought. Yeah. But it's... And so, against a magical character, too, because he's been able to fight the non-magical ones, right? Right. Um, it just, it's still silly. It's so, oh, it's so silly. It's so silly the way that this badass character is defeated in the same style as the Wicked Witch of the West. Especially the fact that he like twirls that bucket a bunch of times in the windmill that you used to do as a kid, you know, because if yeah. you did that really fast, then no, no water would come out. Centrifugal force, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, you know, this is for the eight to ten set. Like yeah. <laughs> they're like, yes, I do that <laughs> in the summer in summer vacation. I love to do that. Impales sub zero. He's somehow throwing this <laughs> liquid with enough force that once it's frozen by this barrier that we assume right. blocks like physical punches but water can seep through well i mean sub-zero really sealed his own fate with that right like that's as you said it's a wicked witch thing where she's like oh i hope nobody spills water on me he's like i hope nobody you know uses that full bucket right there in the corner uh, yeah no it's as unfortunate if, like, as if like this must have happened before that somebody's used water because katana knows yeah and it's not like if you're it, you know when you when you're playing pokemon when you're fighting against an ice type. Yeah. You're not thinking, I better bring out my water Pokemon. Like, right. it, yeah, there's yeah. nothing intuitive about water <laughs> defeating ice. You'd yeah. think probably your worst case scenario especially here is throw Kat- water at it because then you're just giving him more to work with. Yeah, like, like especially because Katana gave, unless she's like prescient or something, I'm not sure, but she gave that uh, advice, you know, day before or something it wasn't as if she saw the bucket there and was like and saw that mist of you know sub-zero temperature and right. put two and two together she just assumed like wouldn't wouldn't better advice be fire <laughs> no know? kidding like use it, charmander it, it, in this case yeah. everybody knows that it would be amazing if she actually intended for him to like use earth in some way <laughs> right. and he just misunderstood yeah exactly yeah, yeah. What, maybe, oh. maybe that's why it was so ambiguous, because she was like, just use something and come up with it at the time. And whatever it is, I'll pretend that that's what I meant. So Sub-Zero, woefully underrepresented, but somehow effective in that. Yeah. Similar and somehow stranger. Next up is dun, 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 Reptile. So is this a particularly weird one? Because I can't imagine that there is a strange chameleon looking skinny twiggy reptile in the games okay, right but well no i'm 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 forgetting entirely that in the first game that i played it was only scorpion and sub-zero yeah and neither of them their origin is like really unknown or whatever but reptile is a clone of one of them he's a character swap yeah he's a, a like a clothing swap no 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 not just that them, i mean yeah, yeah clearly <laughs> oh like literally a clone yeah he's like literally a clone of one of them okay that that the emperor made in order to make get it so that he will be his slave and that's why reptile is more under his bidding under shang sun's bidding Hmm. than the others so that's what's going on there i forgot about that 
Because Reptile's not in the first one. Anyway, yeah, so I have not played uh, the second Mortal Kombat game <laughs> where Reptile was introduced as a as a clone. But uh, So I don't actually know what his special moves are or anything like that in, in the two games that led up to this. And my god, the CGI has not... <laughs> is it even CGI? Like, whatever the computer actually, graphics that is does, has not held up. Yeah, I feel like you would have been better off doing, like, a stop-motion, like, Harryhausen thing yeah. with this character. I get, I get that he's a chameleon, and he can blend into the background and become invisible. Right. But I feel like when the character is supposed to be standing out, because he's this multicolored jumble of nonsense, he yeah. still blends into the background by accident yeah one of the so while i was watching that <laughs> the movie today uh i i have a really funny google search history as a result of me trying to be like why is this happening and one of the one of the things i searched is why is reptile made of cockroaches and worms like you know at yeah the at the end when, he, when it's like it's like uh it's like when mr oogie boogie from right which makes more sense when you think of it that way nightmare before christmas but like oogie boogie makes sense because he's just like a bag of gross and yeah like kids don't like worms and, and cockroaches but neither yeah. worms nor cockroaches are reptilian yeah no reptiles physically Theology <laughs> makes no goddamn sense. Especially when you think of him being a clone. Right. So he is, which there is no trace of in this movie, so I do not accept that as movie canon. So he starts off as a literal reptile. Who, no, he starts off as like a, he starts a, off statue, as a statue of, of a, a reptile. Of a very strange looking reptile. <laughs> Who comes to life, gargoyle style, runs around and seems to have like some some power to him. He can like spit acid, like the you know if you need to mm-hmm. take care of Wayne Knight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, sprays. I mean, that was him too. That was yeah, you know, yeah. another cameo from <laughs> sprays Liu Kang in the. That's only two years apart. No, when did this movie come out? Nineteen ninety five. Yeah, this movie came out three years after Jurassic Park. Think about that CGI for a second. Oh goodness. So he comes to life, is this spindly reptile creature who is powerful-ish and sneaky, and then Liu Kang kind of beats him up when they get to Otherworld. Is that what it's called, Otherworld? Yeah. Yeah. When he gets to Otherworld, and then he stumbles backwards into a skeleton, which, like, absorbs him against his will, it looks like, because there's that point where Reptile's trying to, like, struggle out of the ribcage that he's fallen into, right? Am I misremembering that? Okay, well... Uh, like you're remembering it uh, it's called outworld by the way not otherworld um but i watched i watched that scene like three or four times because i don't understand what happened there right especially because it just cuts to this the oozing bugs and it took me like three or four times to understand that that was coming from his carcass but also right is that his carcass that has has now um like disintegrated and the reptile being has left the carcass is that what we're talking about yes so i'm talking about when he gets into that in the first place right so when he falls into the skeleton and then the skeleton kind of like (laughs) grows in around him where he becomes a separate stone gargoyle looking thing which then immediately magically transforms into basically a palette swap of Right, Scorpion or Sub Zero, where he's, now he's just green, so that they can have hand to hand combat. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you're saying that it's 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 like he needs to mesh with like a corporeal form in order to become a fighter. I'm not even saying that he has to. I'm no, saying I that's know, what but happens. It seems like that's what happens. Yeah. But like he he was a viable opponent beforehand in yeah. lizard form. 
Like, he can spray oh. acid, and he's spry. Like, there was no reason for him to adopt this other form. And again, it happens against his will. He, the reptile is struggling against being absorbed into this thing. So then, when this Liu Kang... messed up. I didn't even, like, I, I don't know what I was thinking while this was going on, but I was clearly in, like, kind of little kid mode where it was just kind of... You're just okay, accepting it. Yeah, here's what's yeah. going on. Sure. But, like, am I missing anything in that? I, or I is it just complete so. nonsense? Right. So then Liu Kang figures out how to defy gravity and do a whole bunch of, like, spinning kicks and knocks Reptile over in human form and then stomps on him until bugs pour out of the body and the little reptile thing falls back out because he's now separated from that skeleton again. But and then and then he stomps on this on the reptile. And then he steps out stomps on the reptile to finish him off. Yeah. That's his his little fatality. Yeah. So the Wikipedia does not help at all. It says um Lou is attacked by reptile but eventually gains the upper hand and defeats him. Right. Do you want to watch <laughs> that scene? Yeah, sure. Okay. So it makes no sense, right? <laughs> no, like, it does not. He and We it, just the, watched the, it again. The best part is that when like it's it's the bicycle kick the flying kick that actually does the damage and separates reptile from its newly acquired human body before it even lands like <laughs> there's no final impact it just spins around conveniently through the hole that he knocked them through in the first place and then collapses into a pile of goo and bugs and then a little reptile inside of it it's the biggest the most extreme example of just total batshit nonsense in this movie i think yeah and I was just willing to accept it until you brought it up. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the oh, the other amazing part of it is that it's the only time in the whole movie that anything like this happens. But <laughs> reptile's name gets announced via voiceover just because. Yep. When he when he takes on human form. <laughs> yeah, like he gets announced. It's bananas. Yeah, I like to picture that you know the the movie theater is full of children. <laughs> As soon as the, the announcer came over and said, reptile, they all just started losing their shit and throwing popcorn up in the air and cheering. I wish that I could watch this movie like that. That would be so <laughs> much better. That's how I was watching it until you made me rewatch that scene and pick it apart. I'm sorry. Dylan. You sh- shouldn't agree to do podcasts on things that are <laughs> sacred to you. All right, let's, let's finish off the, the trio. Let's talk a little bit about... So Scorpion is uh, similar in terms of lackiness obviously has special powers right he's one of the freak show and the cgi on that hand thing is so sad (laughs) i don't like it's dated but it's it's not as terrible as reptile it's not not the worst possible of all right you're right you do get worse cgi later so it's fine i i can't johnny's reaction to it did you notice and he's just fine with it. <laughs> well, he's he's mildly confused, is how I would put it. And I mean, clearly, you know, they didn't know what the what the CGI was going to look like or anything, so they they couldn't really act toward that uh, while they were doing it. But I like to pretend that Cage, being an actor, and also knowing that he doesn't want to come across as looking like a little crybaby when he's meeting all these intense people, um, is you know trying to really hide his actual incredible horror at the first time of his life seeing literal magic being used in front of him that will kill him <laughs> right like his reaction is so nonplussed <laughs> at all of it it's just his ego is so large that it surpasses the wonderment right exactly and, and yeah fear yeah so scorpion's power is pretty cool you know the the, in the games, are his appendage things, are they alive? Like, are they 
screaming Venus flytraps no, like they are in the just, movie, or are they just? I mean, it's they're tiny little pixels, and as far as I can tell, yeah. no, they're not supposed to be alive. Really, yeah, they're just the supposed to be parts of him. That they're more like hook shots from Legend yeah, exactly. of Zelda. Yeah, yeah, but they come. They do come from his body, but yeah, that they're yeah. not alive things. But yeah, in this, they're alive things that he has no real emotional attachment to. Like the one gets splattered, and he just kind of tugs the string off. Um, I think that Scorpion suffers not so much because of his powers or because of his capability, but because one, he doesn't get a, a cool, uh, badass fight scene like Sub-Zero does because Sub-Zero is the one who's used as an example of what to expect in the tournament. So Scorpion doesn't get that. We only see him kind of do the hand thing once in a threatening way. You're talking about, but to Johnny Cage though. Right in the forest. Well, I'm saying before his fight. Oh, sorry, sorry, my bad. Um, and then in his fight, he loses to Johnny Cage, so that just like it kills your credibility. Right. It's like getting pinned by Spike Dudley or or whatever the case may be. <laughs> it's a deep cut, but anyway. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. that was another thing. In rewatching this, I was surprised how quickly Kano died and how quickly Scorpion died. I was really surprised by both of those early yeah. early deaths with unceremonious. You know, they, they didn't really get to to kind of prove themselves. Right. Well, I mean, Scorpion holds his own against Johnny Cage, but again, it's against Johnny Cage, and that doesn't seem like that remarkable of a feat. <laughs> um, but what is remarkable about Scorpion is the fact that when he's getting his ass kicked in his alternate dimension, uh, eventually he just gets tired of putting on a brave face, and he peels off his skin and reveals a skull underneath? Yeah, that's one of his special moves in the game. Oh, okay. All right, yeah. so this is canon. This isn't just yeah. like messing around yeah and that's not i don't think it's even his face that's just the mask he pulls off the mask in the game and and he's a, a skeleton underneath okay yeah. but in this he's peeling like he's clearly just like he's got skin and right. then a mask on yeah like, but he peels off the skin yeah 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 so he's just a skull underneath uh who is incredibly flammable once his skull is revealed right because he gets kind of grazed by that spear and all of a sudden his entire torso is on fire yeah and then he gets his head chopped with that shield thing <laughs> it lobs his, off like a quarter of his head his death is epic <laughs> which makes him highly combustible <laughs> <laughs> his fatality is a flaming skull all right. That's what he does. He if 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 he get if he lands the fatality on you, he pulls off his uh, mask, and um, underneath his mask is a skull, and it's on fire. Okay. Okay. And one of the greatest things, one of the most terrifying things about Mortal Kombat is uh, when characters remove their masks and they're just horrifying underneath. There's a couple characters like that. But yeah, the the death that Scorpio or Scorpio Scorpio. The death that Scorpion um, succumbs to is so convoluted. I don't understand what's going on in that one either. It's not nearly as convoluted as the reptile one, obviously. But yeah, there's like, he is a flaming skull, but fire is the worst thing that can happen to him. And I guess like those two, you know, ice and fire, they're supposed to be oppo opposing uh, elements, right? Yellow, blue. Yep. But for some reason, Scorpion is also a scorpion and has that hookshot thing, which is a Venus flytrap, as you said, in this. There's a lot going on. <laughs> He's both a plant and a fire type. Yes. Yeah. There's, I mean. We, and a bug type. Yeah. Sorry. I'm. No, if, if, this if is you, my video game context. Yeah. You're coming at this as a Mortal Kombat fan. I'm coming at this as somebody who's played way too much Pokemon. I'm just <laughs> you, trying to make the types make sense. No, I, it's, I mean, they're all connected, clearly. Like, Absolutely. <laughs> if you read it through Pokemon lens. So, yeah, and then it just, it, because they need an explosion, they just have him explode because he's on fire. 
because he has something internally flammable and combustible right. inside of him. Yeah, spontaneous human combustion, of course. So when you when you actually Google scorpion face, one of the things that comes up is, how does scorpion have muscles on his face? Isn't there just a skull under his mask? If so, why does it show muscles on his face when you do an x-ray? As in, in the later games, you yeah. can see these x-rays. Yeah, so there's, there's clearly some questions to be asked around this whole peeling the face off thing, which is actually just supposed to be his mask, but then he's an inanimate skull underneath just Wait. deal with it rough yeah okay just go with it just <laughs> okay. just accept it that's the thing is like that's that's how you that's that's how you deal with this movie yeah you just go with it you accept it and you move on to the next thing so his on uh in the manual his legal status because they each have these kind of stat cards that come with the manual and his legal status in the manual is scorpion is a reincarnated specter and has no legal status so what are you gonna do about that dylan reincarnated specter answer to all your problems <laughs> you have some questions about the movie scorpion's a reincarnated specter answers all my questions exactly sorry about the abrupt stop but that's where we're gonna cut out the conversation for this week from the netflix podcast we'll be back next week to finish up our look at mortal Kombat, including discussions about sonya blade raiden chang sung and Liu kang if you like what you heard today head on over to netflixblog.wordpress.com to check out the rest of the netflix content like show notes articles reviews as well as a weekly look at what's new on canadian netflix you can also find us on our social media platforms starting with facebook at facebook.com slash netflix podcast over on tumblr you can find us at netflix podcast.tumblr.com and of course you can find us on twitter at netflix pod where you can also find me at dylan clark moore and caroline at Deezen. that's d-i-e-z-y-n if you'd like to support the show there are a few ways you can do so you can start by heading over to itunes and subscribing so that each week's episode comes straight to you while you're there drop a rating and review to let us know what you think you can also contribute directly to netflix by way of our patreon campaign whether it's for the rewards like shout outs on the podcast or customized content or if you'd just like to see us keep doing what we're doing you can pledge your support over at patreon.com the netflix podcast is produced and edited by me dylan clark moore the theme music was provided by zach more speaking of music what you're hearing right now or i guess what just ended is a very appropriately titled piece called roundhouse by artist para palabras this is yet another track from the album forest city series volume two from record label a person disguised as people i'll be sure to include proper credit and links in today's episode show notes thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of the netflix podcast and be sure to join us here next week to finish up the conversation about mortal Kombat. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.